The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you, as always, by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai, and joining me, as always, is the guy with all the answers to all your questions, the wrestling encyclopedia himself, a man on a mission to count every limo we see on Monday Nitro, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? Really good, mate. How's yourself? tired mate tired i've started a new job and it's very very warm where i am and i just think i'm getting old and and so on because you know it, I, I struggled today because i watched this episode of nitro i got in from work i made the mistake of cooking myself some dinner then going upstairs lying on the bed and putting nitro on and i'm not gonna lie at one point i think i dozed off <laughs> because of how warm it is i had a full belly i just get in from work and so on so yeah i think i need to make ulterior uh, actions or plans in the future for watching anything because that's not, that's not going to work going forward i don't think no not in this heat no <laughs> no how are you mate how are you you were a, a little bit poorly i suppose we should um, extend to uh, everybody our apologies for missing last week danny was quite quite ill uh yep. so you know real life does get in the way but as always with nitro nights i mean we're 70 odd episodes in we've only missed a what two or three maybe but every time we miss one we always give you a bonus show by way of apology so keep your eyes out for that in the coming weeks but Danny, more importantly how are you doing now my friend are you you better a lot better mate yeah that serves me right for sitting in a room with people that uh, do a lot of smoking and it's like oh so because my lungs are not used to it it just gave me some horrible chest infection and i was like i've done this once before and i was like yeah i'm not going back around to that grotty little flat in plasto so (laughs) (laughs) a lot better so i kind of brought it on myself but immediately went to doctors and then got um antibiotics and just I thought just no Red Bull, nothing, just straight water for like, well, close to a week. And then, yeah, a lot better now. Thank you, mate. I like the way that you taking it easy is just you saying, yeah, no Red Bull for a week. (laughs) 
your body probably went into shock. The, the amount, like the sudden drop in caffeine. I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't gone into a coma or something. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. This week's episode of Nitro Nights is checking out the episode of Monday Nitro that first aired on the 14th of October, 1996. Uh, it came to us live on that night from Memphis, Tennessee. And interestingly enough, the Mid-South Coliseum, quite a famous wrestling venue in history there. The television ratings for this particular Monday evening saw Nitro do a very good, very respectable for this particular time in 96, 3.3. That's a great rating there, considering where they've been in the past. Whereas Raw didn't fare so well. Raw received a quite paltry 1.8 by comparison. So it got tranced on this particular evening. Let's jump across to Monday Night Raw. Check out what was on the show and uh, see why it did so poorly. I suppose if people turned over halfway through or whatever, let's see why they did that. This episode of Raw opened with Vader defeating Phineas Godwin. Oh dear me. Jake Roberts wrestled. Jake Roberts in 96. Yeah, I know. Jake Roberts defeated Jerry Lawler after 10 seconds. Oh, dear. Freddie Joe Floyd defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley by count out. So you don't even get a proper decision there. Farouk defeated Alex Porto. Don't even know who that is. And Shawn Michaels defeated Steve Austin. Okay, by DQ. But at least your main event had a couple of names in it. The rest of that card is brutal. That is rough, Danny, isn't it? Very, very rough, mate. I mean, we laugh about Saturday night and and other uh, preliminary shows like that. But wow, that just felt like... I don't even know why. That just felt like a Tuesday night somewhere, didn't it? That, that's really bad, isn't it? That is really bad. Uh, you mentioned Saturday night. Before we get into what happened on this Monday Nitro, we do need to check out what happened in WCW over the weekend just beforehand. So we do that by taking a look at WCW Saturday night. WCW Saturday night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Saturday. Danny. What have you got for us, mate? Quite a uh, slim pickings this week. Not as uh, explosive as, as the uh, other weeks have been. I mean, we've got um, Jeff Jarrett defeating Billy Kidman in the opener. Oh, that could have been okay. Yeah, yeah. We've got Eddie Guerrero defeating Disco Inferno. That sounds okay right as well. Yeah. Uh, Ron Studd, one of my favourites, defeating somebody called Jack Boot. Uh, have we seen him before? Jack Boot? That doesn't ring a bell. Hmm. I was thinking maybe he's one of those guys that ran in with uh, on that um, ridiculous cage match with um, Hulk Hogan and everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, the entire roster were in there just so Hogan could run through them. So Jack Boot probably yeah. involved, yeah. We'll just say he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also had Hugh Morris, who's getting a little bit of a push on TV for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's um, a shame, defeating... isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Prince Iokia. Um, we had Michael Wall Street defeating Jim Duggan by disqualification. Um, we had Chris Jericho defeating Steve uh, Armstrong. And we had a WCW Tag Team Championship match with Harlem Heat defeating Dick Slater and Mike Enos. What was that tag team name again, Si? Uh, ready to Rumble, Titan <laughs> Tumble. Um, oh, Rough and Ready. Rough yeah, and ready, there you go, yes. 
Yes, we had Kevin Sullivan, show favourite, defeating Scott Armstrong, the other Armstrong. Um, this one was a bit weird to me. NWO Sting defeated Bunkhouse Buck. That could be okay. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, don't get me wrong. I mean, Bunkhouse Buck is involved, so I think <laughs> the term "interesting" is probably a stretch. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, NWO Sting, he, he does go on to have a few matches. To be fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then in our main event, we have Lex Luger defeating Jim Powers in a match where Jim Powers had no chance, did he? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Good old Lex. Oh, there we go. We'll dive into Nitro then, I guess. As I said, coming from the very historic Mid-Safe Coliseum, uh, we have lots of NWO signs all over the place. The um, What is it you refer to them as, Danny? They're like... Uh, like a foot patrol or whatever, isn't they were the signs? Yeah, street team. Street team. There we go. Uh, they're out in force again, and we have a recap of last week with regards to the stuff with Miss Elizabeth Macho Man and the NWO beating Savage down and so on. And our commentary team of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco run through that for us. Our opening match is something that you know when I saw the guys coming to the ring, I thought, oh hello, this could be good. It's Dean Malenko versus Brad Armstrong. Dean Malenko still comes out carrying Rey Mysterio's mask and is uh, basically the, the theme we're getting from the commentary team is if Rey wants his mask back, he has to bring the belt to Halloween Havoc and, you know, they're going to go from there. So interesting little way of uh, building to a title match there. And I'm not normally on, on Nitro Nights. We, we don't break down the match move for move, but we talk about certain moments, certain spots and certain highlights. Barring a couple... For example, a, a pretty good-looking Brad Armstrong dropkick off the top rope. Uh, another occasion where Dean Malenko goes for a hit toss, but Brad Armstrong counters into a really quick snap arm drag that looked amazing. I'm not going to dive into much of this because I think this match is just a really, really good television contest between two guys who, they're wrestlers first, characters second. So I would just suggest to people... I mean, I, I know a lot of people who who listen to Nitro Nights week to week, follow along, and they're watching all the Nitros and the pay-per-views with us, and I, I appreciate every single one of you who do that and interact with us online about this. But if you do not follow along and you just listen to the podcast, again, thank you for that. But I, I urge you to go and check this match out. It's not, uh, by any means, you know, it's not a five-star classic, but for a TV match and an opener to a TV show, I thought this was really solid, Danny. What were your thoughts? Yeah, really, is the same, mate. I mean, especially when you talk about both men uh, train trading arm drags, which was really cool as well. Um, they were just crisp. Um, the one complaint I had about it was it looked to me like, if not just one of these, indeed, Malinka, maybe both of them were a tad bit ticked off with the crowd because the crowd were just all over talking, uh, chanting about the NWO. Um, mm. The announcers were talking about the NWO a lot, and it. I don't know. I, I'm bad at reading facial expressions anyway, but it looked like Dean Malenko was a bit pissed off with that because here he is putting on a clinic with Brad Armstrong and all the fans care about is the NWO. I think Dean Malenko, to be fair, he suffers from what my wife refers to as resting bitch face. <laughs> and my wife says she has this herself. 
and uh, Sharon, her, her her company, her business is called RBF Luxuries, and <laughs> and the RBF stands for Resting Bitch Face because people <laughs> always go up to her and say, "What's wrong? Are you okay?" When she's absolutely fine, but she just looks miserable because she says that's the way her face drops. Maybe I think <laughs> Dean Malenko does suffer of a little bit of that as well. But yeah. I, I get where you're coming from with regards to the NWO crowd reaction, and we touched upon this on the last episode of, of Nitro Nights, and we're going to dive into it a bit more in depth, I think, when we do our NWO special in a week or two, about how the NWO, as hot as they are, as popular as they are, as you know, as a merchandising machine as they are, with that T-shirt, it seems to be, they are obviously the, the, the golden goose. They're the cash cow. They're the ones who are drawing the money for WCW and the ratings at this present moment in time in '96. However, we're noticing now the effect that they are having on the rest of the roster, especially some of the heels that aren't NWO. They're heels on the WCW side, so you don't really know how to react to them in comparison to the NWO. And I mean, we touched upon it a, a little bit more in depth last week, so if you want to hear that... Sorry, well, not last week, two weeks ago. So if you want to hear a bit more about that, dive into the archives and have a listen. But I think you're right. This is another example here of the NWO's presence affecting everything around it, Danny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're starting to see a bubble over. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, during this, well, not during this match, after this match, which Dean Malenko actually goes on to win with quite a clever little cradle. He wins it with a wrestling move, something I'm very fond of. Uh, we have the NWO arrive, Danny. What do they arrive in? They live, arrive in Scottish Danny's limo count number 17. There we go. Uh, Hulk Hogan has had a shave, though. Mm. Yeah, he's, he, here he is. Uh, he's definitely getting ready for the movies, isn't he? Well, he said he speaks later on, doesn't he, about his he's been away filming his new movie, Three Ninjas. I've <laughs> never heard of this. Have you? Oh, yeah, it's a classic. It really is. Um, I know we take the piss and things like that, but that is actually one of his better films. Okay, you say one of his better films. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the competition is particularly high in that field. No. <laughs> Where does it stand up in regards to other movies, Danny? Well, to me, his uh, best film is Mr. Nanny. Have you seen that one? A long, long time ago. I remember yeah. Suburban Commando. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I mean, Suburban Commando came out in, what, 94, maybe? Something like that? Yeah. So I'd have been 12, 13, a you know, rough ballpark anyway. And I remember being a kid and liking Suburban Commando because it was a cheesy ac action movie with Hulk Hogan in it, and I was all about that. I've seen it since, and it's not aged particularly well at all. Mr. Nanny, I think I watched maybe once. Uh, isn't it very similar to Kindergarten Cop, the Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. movie? Is that a kind of vibe? It's like that combined with um, Home Alone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, perhaps maybe we'll check out some Hogan movies for a bonus episode at some point. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Well, we're uh, doing do one on Christmas, aren't we? I've got that penciled in. Uh, yeah oh yeah i might be ill that week you know <laughs> <laughs> i i can i can feel a little tickly cough coming on in mid-december you know i can predict it now but there we go uh, um after we see the nwo and clean shaven hogan arrive we have a little recap of saturday night and the duggan versus wall street match that danny mentioned in his recap of saturday night and we have some more shenanigans with the tape that duggan uses 
and it was used for Duggan to get the win. But then Nick Patrick, the referee, reversed their decision. And it's just a lot of silly nonsense with tape again. I thought at one point we were starting to move away from that, but it's come back with with some, you know, some force, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has, mate. And then that takes us to the next match, which I just felt didn't belong on Nitro anymore. Um, I mean, you have to give them credit because they're trying to pad out the full two hours. But this feud, I'm just not here for it, Si. No, nor me. It really feels like... I'd say it feels like late 80s, early 90s WWF. I'm probably saying that just because these guys were both in the WWF in that time. I mean, IRS was one half of the t- Wall Street, sorry, as IRS was one half of the WWF Tag Team Champions in 1993. Um, Duggan in 93 was quite prominent on early episodes of Raw and matches with Yokozuna, where he, he coughed up the blood and uh, was even on a couple of pay-per-views. I mean, King of the Ring 93, he played a part in and so on. So my mind instantly goes back to 93 because that's where I remember them from. And here we are in 96. And and even in those three short years, the wrestling world has changed. The NWO yeah. has changed it dramatically. And these guys don't feel like they've moved along with it, especially uh, Wall Street. His gimmick, I think, is incredibly dated at this point. Yeah. And just the fact that they've changed his name as well. Um, it's like, can't you just change the character with it? <laughs> mm. He comes out in a suit and his hair tied back, to which point then he takes the suit off and he's wearing a real ill-fitting singlet with dollar signs all over it. It's, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to kind of throw shade, I suppose, is the term some of the youngsters use, maybe. Uh, or I, I don't want to be sort of disrespectful to anybody in indie wrestling or anything like that but this is the pro leagues this is the big leagues this is the top level stuff here in wcw at this point and it's the number one wrestling show in the world at this point in time wall street's gear looks amateur it looks indie to me yeah yeah it's it's a far away from um his uh shirt and tie attire in the wwf even because at least that was connected more to his character yeah, potentially, potentially. I got a big thing about people wrestling in ties anyway. I think it's bloody stupid and makes no sense. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Duggan begins this match and controls it for uh, quite a period early on. We get a few lengthy chin lock spots from Wall Street. And the more the match goes on, the more we realize that Larry Zabisco hates Jim Duggan. He really goes to tie on him here, doesn't he? Oh, he really does. Yeah, talking about how stupid he is and how much of a cheater he is with the tape. Um, I'm noticing a lot more heel antics from Larry Zabisco. I mean, at the beginning of the show, he went on a tirade about um, Liz. Um, they, it seems like they're playing into his heel persona quite a lot now. Okay, then. I, I get what you mean, because he has a rant about Liz and Duggan is... Very popular. I mean, it may be an old gimmick. It may be a tired gimmick here in '96. I suppose it's. I suppose it's too old to be relevant or or feel fresh and important. But it's not old enough to feel retro and nostalgic yet. That's the issue I have with Duggan's gimmick. But chanting USA, especially somewhere like Tennessee, chanting USA and 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 the Ho chants and all this sort of stuff. He's always going to get a good babyface reaction. So Larry Zbysko, by nature, slagging them off, calling him stupid, as you said, Danny, makes him come across very heelish in his commentary. 
that we then come back to the same issue with the NWO. Because Larry Zabisco on commentary, I think at the moment, is the most outspoken against Hogan and his group. Yeah. With the comments of New World Odor, um, slagging off the people with the signs, any fans wearing T-shirts. He, he is very staunch WCW. He is very His colours are nailed to that mast, and he is 100% WCW which is a babyface way to behave in, in the aspects of the makeup of the show with regards to the NWO and the dynamic they have. But again, here he is, a babyface when the NWO are on screen, acting the heel when he's commentating for someone like Jim Duggan. It really blurs the lines, but not in a good way for me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah, it's a bit of a problem, a bit of a problem. We'll have to keep our eye on that a bit more. Um eventually wall street tries to come off the top rope he is caught by duggan's big boot uh duggan then it goes for the tape but then wall street has the tape and then the referee isn't didn't see any of this and then duggan hits his three-point stance clothesline for the win and it's just more nonsense with a roll of tape danny yeah, these two are definitely uh, feuding about the tape. And I'm just wondering if this will lead to anything on the pay-per-view. But if it doesn't, I think I feel we're going to get weeks and weeks more of this left. Mm. I suppose on the plus side, a, a feud or an angle doesn't have to finish on a pay-per-view. We can ha- easily have... I mean, you can, you, you've, got your, you know, you've got your top-line stories, then your sort of semi-main stories, then a tag-team angle and, all, and different storylines going on. You also have storylines that just are for television. I get the impression that this is a television style storyline. I mean, I don't know yeah. if it gets announced for the pay-per-view, and if it does, then I'm going to you know, have to stand corrected, I suppose. But it doesn't feel like this is heading towards the pay-per-view. This just feels like they're going to battle on Saturday night and occasionally on Nitro to me, at the moment anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, after this match, Tony Schiavone declares that when we come back from the ad break, we're going to see one of the hottest guys in our sport, one of the top, top guys currently wrestling. And out comes Hugh Morris. And I call bullshit, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that was, um, I mean, they really are trying with Hugh Morris, but it's just not clicking, is it? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't, I do not get Hugh Morris whatsoever. I don't get the giggling thing and then looking serious. I mean, I don't know if he's trying for a kind of Matt Bourne-esque Doink the Clown character from a few years previous, because Matt Bourne pulled that off fantastically well. The sort of evil, psychotic clown, that worked very, very well. I don't know if he's going for something similar to that. I don't, I just don't get it. The moonsault from the top rope looks incredible because he's a big bloke and he's flying through the air like that. It's impressive. Everything else he does, I don't understand. Just don't get it. No, no. But, um, yeah, they put him against um, somebody that you know you're going to get a decent match out of in Jim Powers here. Yeah, but you say that, and I don't, I don't think this was that good. <laughs> to me, this is a historic match because um, everybody knows about, oh, Tony Schiavone uh, spoiling the end of Raw and everybody jumped over to Raw. And, and oh, with... Raw Foley. Yeah. 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 The Mick Foley. Yeah. The January 4th. Yes. But nobody is ever talking about. I've seen one person tweet about this. Um, okay. th- this next thing we're going to be talking about where Tony Schiavone thanks Jerry Lola. And you'd think 
Oh, just thanks. I don't think he um, named Joe Lawler. He just said Mr. Lawler, didn't he? Yes, he referred to him as Mr. Yeah. Lawler. And they're in Memphis, which is obviously Lawler's oh, time, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people just think, oh, I don't know what the hell that's about. But until you dig in and you realise that now I'm going to do something, which I've rarely done in my life here, so I, okay. I'm going to read from Dave Meltzer's Observer. Interesting. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> But um, according to Dave Meltzer's uh, dirt sheet, Jerry Lawler once again tried to sabotage the WCW Nitro show in Memphis by telling USWA fans not to attend. He even came out on television with a recent copy of the Observer newsletter in and named it Dave Meltzer in California, said and said read some of Dave's negative WCW coverage. Lawler told people if they really want to go and see Nacho, stay at home and watch it on TV for free, but they should really watch Raw instead. Yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> Nacho drew nearly 7,000 people to the show and one of the largest gates ever in the Mid-South Coliseum. Yeah, and that's got to be quite a a bitter pill to swallow because the Mid-South Coliseum is a place where Lawler had worked a great deal. Um, I mean, you think the USWA, which I, did you say it was the USWA that where Lawler yes. had? The, yeah. Okay. The USWA was very, very late in, in creation. It was founded in 1990. No, no, not 1989. Uh, I think maybe 89. Yes. Was that when Jerry Jarrett left? Yeah, it was it was basically a merger of a couple of different uh, promotions. We had uh, World Class in Texas, the old Von Erich territory, and the CWA, which is basically Memphis Wrestling, uh, as it's known, where Jerry Lawler was the, the, the guy. And Jarrett and Lawler merged these two territories together to... Uh, again, there's a, a lot more to it that I'm explaining, but we're not here to talk about USWA. We're here to talk about Nitro, but a little bit of background to it. They tried to merge it together to try and form... A, a, a bigger, I suppose, bigger territory, a bigger promotion to try and battle against the likes of uh, WCW, the WWE, and so on. And it didn't really work because there's a lot of guys from the Dallas promotion, a lot of guys from World Class, who started messing about with bookings. The Von Erichs famously stopped turning up for bookings for their own company, which didn't help. And there was a lot of issues. And it, I mean, it, it didn't even run 10 years, but I, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for the USWA because that smelly, horrible, stinky little shop where I used to do tape trading or buy secondhand tapes or, you know, people used to make dodgy, dodgy copies of VHS tapes. And I used to buy them from this little shop down, down Westgate Street in Gloucester. One of the first cassettes I bought was the best of the USWA. And that's where I saw the likes of uh, Austin and, and Jarrett and so on wrestling and, um, gentleman chris adams was there for for a brief period as well i saw a lot of these guys for the first time on this very blurry poor quality copied vhs tape you know they'd done the old tape to tape effort so the quality drops a little bit and yeah that's that's so i got a bit of a soft spot for the uswa it's one of the first companies i watched outside of wwe but yeah that was that was what the uswa was and jarrett was using his appearances for that company. And he also, I think, had a few rants in newspaper or radio interviews or something. I think as well, Danny, around that time, about the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it would be, yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I, I, it just tickles me the way it backfired on him. 
to be honest. <laughs> I can't understand why. Anyway, he, he's there saying, oh, you should be watching Raw. I mean, they've got fucking Jerry Lawler and jake roberts take going 10 seconds on raw they got phineas <laughs> godwin on raw it's like why would you want to watch that do you know what i i feel like jerry lolan wasn't on Vince McMahon's high list that week <laughs> no obviously not oh dear me uh, we also get a bit more news from the commentary team as well in that there's no rick flair this week his injury is worse than they thought and he's gone for an MRI scan. They're going to get the results soon, but the injury is bad enough to keep him out of Halloween Havoc. More on that later. Um, Hugh Morris here regularly goes for a cover, and then before the referee counts one, or as the referee counts one, gets up and giggles to himself. I just find that irritating. Yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't get behind it. Um, This was the story of... um, I I feel like the most important person in this match was the referee. And that is a huge issue because that should never be the case. Well, yeah, I suppose we, I suppose in, in WCW's defense a little bit, I I agree with you by the way, but in WCW's defense a little bit, they are pushing this Nick Patrick neck injury, heel referee angle, aren't they? So I suppose they have to do something with it. I mean, ultimately Hugh Morris wins the match with the moonsault, which again, you know, credit where it's due. It looked good. And then we have Teddy Long and Nick Patrick arguing a great deal after Nick Patrick had some very slow counts when Jim Powers was trying to win the match, but counted normally when uh, Hugh Morris tried to win the match himself. I I don't quite know where they're going just yet with Teddy Long and Nick Patrick, or even if it has a a conclusion at the end, I'm not sure. But I hope they get there quicker than they are at the moment. There we go. When we talk about, you know, powerhouses in wrestling, though, Danny, the first name that springs to my mind is obviously Greg the Hammer Valentine in 1996. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> here he is. Our buddy yes. Greg stomps his way down to the ring with entrance music that does not fit him in the slightest. And he is taking on fave of the show, Lex Luger. We get a little recap of last week's Nitro where R. Anderson attacked Luger with a chair and so on. So Lex is selling this the best way he can by wrapping his ribs up in some bandages. Um, <laughs> the match is, as you'd expect, Greg Valentine works the back and the ribs for a while. We see Arn Anderson backstage watching on a monitor. Uh, DiBiase and Vincent come out into the crowd at one point. The crowd go mad. They cheer NWO. and There's a big NWO banner. And again, it just goes to show I mean, Luger is one of the one of the the top baby faces in the company at this moment in time. The crowd turn away from his match to look at the NWO and cheer the NWO. So again, we have the same problem that we seem to be discussing each week there with that, don't we, Danny? I think we really do, mate. And just the disrespect to do this in a Greg Valentine match. I mean, it's just shocking, Si. You're a knob. Um, <laughs> Luger ultimately wins the match with the rack and yeah it's I think it's just a good way of getting Luger on TV getting into have another win and we're building towards his match with Arn Anderson at Halloween Havoc I, I got no massive issues with it I'm not a big fan of Greg Valentine in 96 I don't think he needs to be on television but you needed someone to go out there and lose to Luger and just yeah. curve on the story of Luger and Arn so I suppose it did it did its job ultimately, Danny. What did you think? 
It really did, mate. I mean, I was a big fan of this match. I mean, everyone knows I love Greg Valentine and we've really grown to love Lex Luger in this. But the story of this was um, Eric Bischoff in the middle of it saying that Hulk Hogan is backstage demanding to make an announcement tonight. So we're going to get a live announcement from the Hulkster tonight. So There we go. He's actually going to earn some of that masses and masses of money that Ted Turner pays him every single week. Oh, dear. <laughs> Tony Schiavone has a chat with Nick Patrick. That was quite interesting. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah. So Macho Man, according to Nick Patrick, will will now only be fined five hundred dollars uh, rather than the initial one million that he asked for uh, <laughs> a couple a weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the drop, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he, uh, he Nick Patrick also says Macho Man will miss the next five the first five months of 1997 ring action which was actually very surprising to me is much a man going on holiday yeah i don't know what that's about did they uh, say that, five months or five matches uh oh yeah you're right five matches yeah sorry <laughs> i it's messed that up months. completely <laughs> uh, yep he'll be missing the first five matches of which can't be good for his payday but i'm sure it's good for his uh body at that point yeah, yeah, he'll be back on that gym with Hogan and that weird trampy guy from, you know, back in 95. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, that's probably what and he's then, doing. He's probably, he's probably going back to see his trampy mate on the beach. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the biggest uh, part of this interview is Nick Patrick being furious and denying that he is in the NWO and he was the NWO referee. So, um, yeah, he's just denying it, saying he's in much better shape than the guy on the camera. But you could clearly tell it was Nick Patrick, couldn't you? Yeah, under a mask, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dear me. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's a bit silly, but I like it. It works yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, we get a little Saturday night recap again. We don't need to really dive into too much of that because you do such a great job at the start of our show, Danny. And that takes us into hour two. And we have Randy Savage talking with Eric Bischoff. And this is where things get a bit weird for me. I don't know what's going on with Miss Elizabeth, but Savage is talking to Bischoff and then Bischoff says he's going to play him a message. And it's a video of Liz saying she loves Randy, but then apologizing about her behavior recently. Um, and it goes on for quite a while, doesn't it? Um, yeah. What did you think about this whole segment? And and then Macho Man's you know, ultimate reaction at the end of it? I found this very weird because, first off, why would the Macho Man be wrestling Mike Enos anyway? <laughs> That's the first <laughs> thing that came to my mind. But I loved the effort that was put into it because, I mean, we have to love that massive television on a tray that just takes me back to the school days when the teacher would bring in that giant tv um loved seeing that but it was like um i don't know how many times they must have done this with liz but i just couldn't get behind her acting because i don't know maybe it was because there was real emotions there or and she couldn't act because this is obviously his ex-wife in real life mm. and i just felt like Oh, like I just felt that could have been to very torturous. It's something I would never do, certainly. Um, yeah. What did you think about this whole thing, Sai? I think it comes back to a point that we make on a very regular basis, especially when 
uh, Liz was alongside Deborah and woman with the horseman for a period. She's there. She's got a payday. Good luck to her. And she's a very attractive lady. She, you know, she looks the part and she's got the history in the business and the history with Savage and all those great moments of WrestleMania seven and all that great stuff. But she can't act for shit, can she? No. <laughs> and they're asking <laughs> her to, I, I, I don't even think this is her fault now. Yeah. Because if she's going to learn, if she's going to get better, it would have happened by now. Mm. Now, yeah. I know I know from listening to Eric Bischoff's podcast and so on, he has mentioned about Elizabeth, she wanted to just walk to the ring, stand there and walk back again and collect her check. She didn't want to be involved in anything. I mean, don't go wrong. That's good work if you can get it. But, you know, the wrestling business is changing here. This isn't, you know, 1989 anymore or whatever it may well be. But there's also the argument that she's not getting any better. She has always been this way to my memory. Yeah. So why are they putting her in that position? That to me then is a fault with WCW, not Miss Elizabeth yeah. herself. No, you're you're totally right. I, there's some rare, and I say ultra rare footage that will be coming out at some point of um, Miss Elizabeth's first ever wrestling appearances from um, Randy Savage's father's promotion. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I'm very much interested to see how she started out. And that'll be okay. dropping at some point um, in the next couple of weeks, I think. But um, if so, she started in, I believe, it had to be the early 80s, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I'd thought so. I'd thought so. Yeah. And yeah, she, so was with, she was alongside Randy. I mean, Savage was with the WWF uh, by 87. Maybe, maybe oh. well, no, not, not 87, before then. 87 was WrestleMania 3. Did he wrestle at WrestleMania 2? I think he might have. And I'm fairly certain Liz was with him straight from the off. So she's been in the wrestling business a long time. Yeah. As you said, here we are in 1996. And she's still kind of like this. But I just, I kind of put it on, oh, they're just like, I mean, this can't be easy to do this with your ex-husband and ex-wife and things like that. So it could be a kind of a mixture of feelings. Mm. yeah i suppose uh savage doesn't speak despite eric bischoff desperately trying to get him to and after a little bit of toing and throwing savage leaves goes out to a white limo waiting for him and he's off he's gone and um, later on in the show we hear they've tried to ring him and tried to speak to him they can't get hold of him and we don't see savage again for the rest of the night do we no we don't and that is scottish daddy's limo count number 18 now 18 there we go it rises very quickly doesn't it um yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're pissing away money here <laughs> do you think <laughs> yes but Speaking also of, sorry go on technically does this mean Marquinhos has a victory over macho man or because the match never started he's not we're not going to give it to him <laughs> i reckon by default yeah by forfeit <laughs> by forfeit so in a way, that should, in theory, mean, you know, because Enos won this match via forfeit, he's now the number one contender. He should be facing Hogan at Halloween Havoc. At Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Apologies. Now you say it. Actually, yeah. Let's let's do that. <laughs> no, let's not. Um, <laughs> speaking of money, however, this is followed up straight away with an advert for the NWO shirt. And it always tickles me when you hear, I think it's the giant going, buy a shirt. It just cracks me up. Um, this is also followed by something that I thought was going to be quite good. Uh, Eddie Guerrero makes his way to the to the ring. 
and Eddie Guerrero is wrestling someone called the Cheetah Kid. And my next note simply says Eddie Guerrero wins. And I've got to offer a huge level of apology here to yourself, Danny, and our listeners of Nitro Nights for being so unprofessional and you know just awful at what I've done this week. Because this is where I dozed off. <laughs> I didn't see any of this match. It was it was a standard match. Um, the Cheetah Kid is this is his uh, first ever match on Nitro. We've never seen him before, but this to me, it was another case of commentary not knowing, like not not knowing how to call the match and also tell the story because a lot of this match was spent by Bobby Heenan shockingly just scolding Eric Bischoff about why would you show that tape to Macho Man and Eric Bischoff acting very somber and even Mike Tanay getting in a few digs at Bischoff. But in terms of the match, um, it was just kind of Eddie Guerrero dominating a lot of it. Um, Eddie Guerrero actually hits a Hurricane Runner and then a Frog Splash to get the win. But then we get something that we're going to have a lot of discussions about in the future, I think, so, because Lee Marshall appears. He makes his Nitro debut here. And do you know anything about these um, road reports that Lee Marshall used to do? Absolutely no idea. Oh, <laughs> we are in for a treat, mate, because I'm going to start another count here because um, I forgot which podcast it was. It might have been Eric Bischoff's or Tony Schiavone's, but they said that Lee Marshall was absolutely full of it. He was never on the road. He was just backstage calling into the... Uh, so when Lee Marshall would say oh, it's cold here in Wisconsin or it's hot here in Florida. He was absolutely lying. He was always backstage. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how ridiculous he gets. So this is number one where Lee Marshall was saying, oh, I'm out here in, in uh, wherever I am. And it's just like, yeah, I'm going to see how long they put, they put up with this. Because I know in the future, Lee Marshall does join the commentary team for Thunder. Yeah, and do you know who Lee Marshall uh, was? Um, which serial he was? The uh, spokesperson. No. Oh, he was Tony the Tiger for years. Was he really? That his, yeah. his voice was Tony the Tiger. Yeah, yeah, for years. Okay. I'm talking at least fifteen years. But yeah, when you actually go back and listen to him, you can actually hear it, and then watch like a, a YouTube video of uh, uh, Frosty's. Um, uh, commercial is definitely him so yeah very interesting character why okay <laughs> uh, i believe the cheetah kid was actually rocker rock at one point but not ah. this version this version is far oh. too put together no i was about to say <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for lee marshall quite literally phoning it in then won't we um yes. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Our next match is somebody else from the Dungeon of Doom. That, that, I didn't realise until now that they're actually all over this show, aren't they, the Dungeon of Doom? They certainly are, yeah. I mean, it's almost like one of them is booking this show. <laughs> yeah, good show. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, we have Big Bubba, and he is taking on Jeff Jarrett. And Jarrett, of course, it's Tennessee. It's, it's Memphis and, and all this sort of stuff. It's Jarrett country, isn't it? We have huge double J chance. Um, doesn't matter, though. His gear still sucks. He still looks <laughs> crap in that stuff. Um, 
the match kind of I suppose they're they're doing what they need to do because they're wrestling a very old school almost territory style match and, and yeah. almost a, literally a Memphis style contest I suppose an old school Texas kind of you know not Texas or a Tennessee style ma- ma- uh, match because it, not many risks are taken the heel does the heelish things. The baby face has his comebacks cut off and, and so on. It's very physical. The manager gets involved with Jimmy Hart and eventually gets his comeuppance when Jarrett strikes him. Um, it, it's good, but not spectacular, I think, Danny. What did you think of this? I love this. Um, you've just nailed it perfectly. It is an old school Tennessee territory match. This should have been Jeff Jarrett's debut, in my opinion. I don't think he should have debuted last week um, because the crowd here absolutely love him. He's very over. Um, his punches are always fantastic. Even in yes. 2023, he's still delivering these punches. He's just fantastic. Um yeah, as you said, Bubba is just doing the heel antics. Manager's getting involved. Jeff Jarrett uh, hits a high cross body. Um, yeah, I think. And when you talk about risks, I, other than that high risk uh, cross body, I don't think there was a lot of um, wrestlers leaving their feet in this. I mean, Jeff Jarrett did hit an amazing drop kick, and mm. that's what actually ended the match. But it was like. This, it should have been Jeff Jarrett's debut here in Memphis. I think he would have got um, a massive, this would have been more memorable then. But then again, having him debut last week would have wet the appetite of the rest of the the fans here. So it's a hard one to say, but I would have had him debut here. I suppose it's the, it's the age old argument, isn't it? Surprise versus ticket sales. Yeah. And, I look at certain surprises in wrestling. I mean, Edge coming back at the Rumble a few years ago. Um, and, 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 you know, stuff like that. And the moment is incredible. Yeah. And it still gives me goosebumps whenever I watch it back now. But if we knew about that, the moment would have been very much watered down. It wouldn't have been anywhere near as exciting or memorable if we knew beforehand. Yeah. But then would ticket sales have been different with people wanting to buy and see edge? There's an argument for that as well. And the same here applies to the Jarrett situation. If we didn't know Jarrett was going to be there and he got out of the limo in the same way he did on last week's nitro, if a limo pulled up and we're all thinking it's NWO and then Jarrett gets out in Tennessee, the pop would have been much bigger than we got last week. And it'd probably been a more memorable moment with Jarrett arriving and being and getting that babyface reaction, however, they've they've done a gate here of close to seven thousand. That is the highest gate the Mid South Coliseum has seen in years and years and years and years and years. One of the top gates they ever received. Would they have had that same gate from that hometown crowd of Jeff Jarrett's if they didn't know Jarrett was going to be there? Would it yeah. have affected it? I don't know if it would have, because obviously the NWO at the time were the guys selling the tickets, but what well, WCW, the brand itself, I suppose, was sort of selling the tickets. But it's interesting to sort of, you know, wonder and sort of get second guess what happened potentially. And, and the way that these, these you know, Southern territories, the likes of Tennessee and uh, well, the Memphis territory and, and all this sort of stuff used to very much look after their own, their hometown boys are their hometown boys. I wonder if it wouldn't 
have had that same 7,000 close sellout or whatever it may well be if Jarrett wasn't announced beforehand. I don't know. We're never going to know. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to see. And again, that, that argument is always there for me with regards to, I prefer when I'm sat at home watching on my television to have the surprise. Yeah. Every single day of the week, prefer the surprise as a viewer. But they have to fill these arenas. Mm. So you can understand why sometimes the surprises are ruined potentially beforehand, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we can thank Dave Meltzer for that. Well, there you go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Ultimately, Jeff Jarrett wins when Bubba gets hold of Jimmy Hart's megaphone. The referee has his back turned and Jarrett throws a spectacular dropkick and dropkicks the megaphone into Bubba's face for the win. Jarrett then cuts a promo with Tony Schiavone, and it's a good promo. He bangs on about the NWO should respect Ric Flair, they should respect WCW, and they're going to end up respecting Jeff Jarrett. And we also get the announcement that it's going to be Jarrett versus the Giant at Halloween Havoc. And Tony Schiavone mentions that the Giant is still walking around with his stolen US title belt. So does that mean that the belt is up for grabs at Halloween Havoc? Because Jarrett acted like, oh yeah, I remember now, I'm going to get that title. Tony Schiavone also said that he has heard from the championship committee and that match is happening at the pay-per-view, which again makes you think, is that going to be for the title? Do they even know yet? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. This is fantastic news. I mean, if Ric Flair really is legitimately hurt, you really can't get a better replacement than someone like Jeff Jarrett because, I mean, he's just proved that he's just, for the last two weeks, his matches have been good and I'm loving the fact that he's getting integrated straight into the main storyline. So, yeah, loving it. Yeah, there we go. I, I like Jarrett. I know our good friend Dan Griffin is not a fan, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I, I do like Jarrett. I've always liked, I've always had a soft spot for Jarrett. Uh, after this, though, we get, I suppose, what is what is our main event? It's not in the main event slot because we have a non-wrestling segment that closes the show. But our in-ring action, I suppose, main event is a non-title match between the tag team champions Harlem Heat and the Faces of Fear. So more Dungeon of Doom here. Uh, this match, I mean, first of all, Benoit and Mongo McMichael come out very early because they're wrestling Faces of Fear at the pay-per-view. The crowd go mad for them. They get a bigger reaction than, I think, either Harlem Heat or the Faces of Fear do when yeah. Benoit and Mongo come out. They don't really do anything. They come out, stand there, have a little look and wander off again. But they get a good pop from the crowd. The only real note I've got from this match is that there seems to be lots of high feet. <laughs> We've got Barbarian and Meng throwing big boots left, right and centre. We've got Booker T doing the spin kicks and the huge, I suppose, leg lariat kind of efforts that he jumps and, and, and uses his heel in, the, in his opponent's face. It seems that for guys this big, their feet are at least seven foot off the mat a lot, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, all four men are known for their kicks, especially someone like Meng. Um, they just, as you said, high feet just fly everywhere. Uh, this was a big mad match. Um, this was very much pay-per-view worthy, uh, and I'm glad they had it here because I want to see these two wrestle again at some point because they were. Uh, this was actually a really good match. Yeah, it for what it was, it was pretty decent. Um, 
again, like I said, lots of high feet. Booker T goes to the top and Meng bangs the rope to crotch him there. And then when he's on the top rope, Barbarian hits a belly-to-belly suplex off the top rope on Booker T. Now, Booker T is a massive fella. Barbarian's even bigger. And he's hitting a belly-to-belly suplex off the top rope. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> massive. I mean, very, very impressive. Mm. Uh, Harlem Heat are now acting as babyfaces. Again, after our conversation last week with the NWO and Harlem Heat, and they were facing Public Enemy, who were acting as babyfaces. Harlem Heat were wrestling as heels that night. Now we've got Harlem Heat acting as the babyfaces, talking to the crowd, talking to the camera, and the heel tactics are coming more from their opponents. So again, we've got a little bit of a grey area as to who is doing what. Before the NWO arrive, um, well, Hall and Nash, anyway, come through the crowd. All four wrestlers stop what they're doing, go out to the barrier. There's a bit of a variable back and forth before Hall and Nash clear off. And the match is basically thrown out. So we don't even really get a finish to it, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but I think the highlight of this match, where there, there was one point where Sensational Sherry was um, screaming outside and um, Meng just looked at her deadpan and started dancing and gyrating his hips. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. I enjoyed that. Uh, we then get, I suppose, what is our main event, I suppose. It's the NWO. Uh, they come out because Hogan has demanded some microphone time. There's eight of them at this point, Danny. Elizabeth makes it nine, but there's eight of them in NWO colours coming out here. And already it looks like a lot, does it? When they're all stood in the ring, to get, we know there's more to join in the, in the future weeks and months. But even at this point, with the eight of them there... And then Liz making it nine bodies in the ring. It already looks a bit congested, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Especially when you can consider the impact of um, how just three of them um, joining and wrecking havoc had. How mm-hmm. much, especially those weeks at Disney and stuff, they didn't need uh, all these extra members because they were running the whole company scared with just three of them. Yeah, very true. I mean, again, I, I, I come back to the fact that there was talk of the NWO having their own show. They were supposed to be at war with WCW and three guys can't be at war with a whole roster because yeah. that, just, that just wouldn't work. So I understand, you know, why the numbers grew as quickly as they did. But yeah, it's a bit watered down already, isn't it? And that is such a shame because if you compare those first few weeks, say first two months even, where Bobby Heenan, we saw stuff that we'd never seen out of him before, the emotion, the fear, and it's not that it's gone down, but it almost is like Eric Bischoff has taken over that compartment and he's been like, he has to be the one who's scared all the time. Mm. And, I mean, Bobby Heenan is still doing his best, but we're not seeing, I mean, we, we just see the announcers running um, a lot of weeks, but we don't see that character work of why they hate the NWR, apart from Larry Sabisco, as you mentioned earlier. But yeah, a bit too much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, it's, I'm not saying it's bad because it's not, it's still no, great television, no. but it just feels slightly less than, and it is only mm-hmm. slightly at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go in the coming weeks. Uh, this segment here. I think this is purely to get the NWO on television. 
I don't really think we gain or benefit massively from anything here. I mean, effectively, we have Hogan cutting a very long promo about Elizabeth. And even he says she's such a great actress, which must be a rib. They must be taking the piss. And (laughs) saying that, you know, Macho Man's upset because Liz is going to be with him all day and all night and, and so on. Uh, she tries to slap Hogan before you know he catches her hand, and she's kind of then escorted to the corner and looked after by the giant. Um, before the nasty boys come out wearing NWO shirts, carrying a couple of contracts, and they've obviously been helping the NWO out in recent weeks, and they're talking to Hogan and saying, "Look, it's great we're part of this. You know, you're our brother. We always look after you." And Hogan agrees, and then they say, "There's a few issues with these contracts." The, the mentions of Learjets and limos and the money, the decimal point isn't quite in the right place to what we thought we were getting. Hogan stands there and explains, well, that's not quite right. Okay. Let me have a look. Oh, my signature is not on this. I've not signed this yet. So the nasties are saying, Oh, well, we didn't realize to which point Hogan says, well, you shouldn't be wearing our colors if you're not given permission. And then the NWO jumped the nasty boys and beat the piss out of them. Oh, lovely television style. But seeing the Nasty Boys in NWO shirts, oh, it was a bit depressing because I didn't know that they ever donned those shirts. And, okay. Um, but then immediately seeing them being beaten down. I mean, we had to know that was coming because of how the way they was recruited and things like that. But seeing them being beaten down, loved it. Just mm. like when Hogan and everyone beat down um uh, Brutus Beefcake at Hogwild loves yes. a good being down when somebody really deserves it somebody can they do Hugh Morris next I mean they need to do <laughs> more of these wrestlers we can't stand <laughs> yeah good shite that, that's kind of it though isn't it um, they just beat the nasties up for a bit they all go to the commentary position and we get the you know, quite comedy aspect of Eric Bischoff falling over the table trying to escape and they rant into the commentary desk microphones for a little bit before we get a really random replay of the Miss Elizabeth Randy Savage stuff and the show goes off the air. Um, I suppose, Danny, the only thing left for us to do really is to review and review the episode, give our summary and our ratings, uh, our usual hit, miss or middling. But before we do that, we need to give our woos and our oh brothers, my friend. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, Woo! brother. So, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on. So, with the woo, it would definitely have to be Jeff Jarrett versus Big Bubba Rogers. I loved okay. that match. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it was old school territory style, and it really did wonders to get Jeff Jarrett um, more credibility as he heads into Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, my woo this week is not necessarily the match itself, but it's Jeff Jarrett in general. His promo, I thought, was decent. Um, his entrance was good. The match itself was good. And I'm quite excited to see more of Jeff Jarrett. So I suppose I'm going semi agreement with you there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Your O brother. It would have to be. It was hard to find one, but it was. it's just going to have to be Jim Powers versus Hugh Morris because... 
we can't stand Hugh Morris <laughs> on our screens. And yeah, that would be mine, mate. How about yourself? Again, mine is almost the same. It's not the match itself. It's Hugh Morris. He's just what he's my over. I just don't, I don't get it. I yeah. just don't get it. And a guy who he's half decent in the ring. If, if, if he cuts out the stupid giggling to himself and the, the wish kind of second rate don't the clown impersonation and concentrates on actually doing a bit of wrestling. Yeah. He's obviously got a bit of charisma there. There's something there. If he changes the character up a bit, he could be half decent, but he's just, mm. I just don't get it. What's the fucking point in Hugh Morris? I don't understand. <laughs> and we've got a long time of watching him start because when I watched the 2000s, um, WCW forum, Tang Talks, he's all over the show. Yeah, so, I know. He doesn't go away anywhere soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, overall, then, Danny, my friend, this week's Nitro, hit, miss or middling? I would say it was a hit. Um, I mean, there was things we would change and, and things like that. But this week, we had the forward WR out. We had some good matches. We had some great matches as well. And nothing really too offensive. So I'll, it goes into the hit for me. How about you, mate? What would you rate this? Uh, it's a middle for me. It's a middle. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot on this show that I probably wouldn't ever go back and watch again. Mm. In fact, I would say I would say 99% of this show I don't need to see again. The NWO stuff, maybe, if we're looking at an NWO-specific sort of episode or, or I'm doing something NWO-specific with regards to writing or recording, then maybe. Everything else on this particular episode of, of Nitro, I don't need to see again. But at the same time, it wasn't complete trash. So, yeah, yeah. it's a middle for me, my friend. It's a middle for me. Yeah. Uh, so there we go, then. How many weeks now till the pay-per-view are left, Danny? We've got two weeks now. of uh, Two more Nitros? Yeah. Well, no, this Nitro. And then, so basically one week. Yeah. Okay. One Nitro and then we're at the pay-per-view. Awesome yeah. stuff. Oh, looking forward to it, mate. Looking, it's shaping up to be a good card, isn't it? Oh, it really is, mate. And next week we'll have to do that test of um, what matches we know because, as compared to last week, uh, last year's Halloween Havoc, well, we didn't have a clue. This year <laughs> they've really been ramping it up. I mean, even tonight we've got the announcement that Jeff Jarrett's replacing Ric Flair. So yes, yeah, there we go. It's going to be interesting. Before we depart, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where me and Cy are on the road to Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. On Slim that Jim's Halloween Havoc. There <laughs> we go. Uh, anything I'm involved in, as always, you can find via the network that carries this show. That's SJP World Media. That's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast players, platforms and providers. We have all sorts of wrestling content for you. Modern day stuff covered by various different shows. Uh, nostalgia based stuff covered with chain wrestling and obviously Nitro Nights itself and other shows as well. Various podcasts looking at all different aspects of TV, whether it's science fiction, time travel whatever all sorts of stuff covered there 
and lots and lots more live content as well. Chain Wrestling Live via the SJP World Media Facebook group, YouTube and Twitch channels every Monday night. In the corner with Benny Mac and Ty Peters every Wednesday evening looking at modern day WWE and talking about all the action from the Connecticut company there. And also coming very, very soon at the start of the new season, The Volley Live looking at watch-alongs on a match day, Premier League content, European football, uh, and then a podcast to follow as well, discussing the action from that weekend. So much going on on SJP World Media. Go and subscribe all over the place, but especially on the YouTube channel, so you do not miss a single time somebody goes live. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, I'm glad you're feeling better. This has been a blast, and I'm already looking forward to next week, my friend. Me too, mate. See you soon. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.